I'm I'm wearing uh, pajama tops and bottoms, and I'm wearing a dressing gown. What we call in England a dressing gown. And what has been your favorite part of the night so far? I thought the planetarium was awe-inspiring. Sitting there, watching the whole universe rush past us, all of cosmic history replayed on the size of a tennis court. Erica Senor, and you're listening to Neurotalk, a show about wearing pajamas and talking about science. Well, for this week, anyways. The clip you heard at the beginning of the show was recorded this past September at an event hosted by the California Academy of Science Museum in San Francisco called Penguins in Pajamas. This year, the Stanford Postdoc Association teamed up with the Cal Academy to bring a group of postdocs from a variety of scientific disciplines to the event to talk about their research. And today, I'll be speaking with the postdocs who orchestrated the event, as well as bringing you some interviews from the event itself. Okay, so to start with, what exactly is a postdoc? A postdoc is someone who has a PhD or an MD or some other kind of doctoral degree who is just starting out on their own research career. My name is Mary Kavanagh. I'm on the Museums and Teaching Committee for the Stanford University Postdoctoral Association. A postdoc haven't established their own lab and they're not a professor, which is something which takes a long time. So in the spirit of apprenticeship, they take a position underneath an established professor in their field who provides financial support and helps them to write papers and write their own grants and get money until they can establish themselves in the field and form their own lab. So what is Penguins in Pajamas and how did you guys get involved with that? Penguins in Pajamas is an event that is put up by the California Academy of Science where they try to get people involved with science by basically locking them behind doors overnight. My name is Antoine de Moret. I'm the co-chair of the Stanford University Postdoctoral Association. Penguins and Pajamas is something they do regularly for kids. And a few years ago, they started putting a similar event up for adults. And we reached out at the beginning of the year to the museum and asked them if we could help out, considering that we have a lot of postdoctoral scientists that are interested in careers, maybe in outreach or teaching. The Academy have their own scientists and curators at the museum who are there to talk to the public about the work that they do and get them interested and excited about science. And we thought it would be great if we could give people more of an idea of what's going on right now in research universities, giving them the most up-to-date idea of, of science as it's, as it's done by the people who do it. And we did want to give postdocs an opportunity to get out there, get some teaching experience, get some experience explaining their science to the general public, which is a very important part of what we do and something which is often overlooked, I think, in, in a university setting. The whole evening was quite long. It started at 6pm and uh, people were exploring the museum, talking to curators. The, the Stanford part of the evening started at nine o'clock so by then you know people were relaxed had a few drinks had something to eat and um, we were in the piazza which if you've been to the academy is a very large echoey room and uh, we had 40 postdocs in there who all had a little table with various props and microscope specimens The 
public came in and mingled around talking to individual scientists about the work that they do and about the things that they had with them, which ranged from a human brain to a levitating model train. <laughs> oh, and the water bears. Oh, I love water bears. Uh, Adler Dillman, who is in microbiology and immunology, came with some moss that he'd collected from... Fo oh, no, I shouldn't say that from a park. <laughs> um, he collected moss from a park and uh, when we looked in it under the microscope we found tardigrades, which are these small creatures, also known as water bears. They're vaguely related to nematode worms, but they look like little gummy bears. In this petri dish, you're looking at three different phyla of animals. You're looking at tardigrades, nematodes, and something called a rotifer. You won't find any of those animals at the zoo. And you can freeze them and boil them and hit them with radiation and, and they and survive. Space. Send them to space, indeed. Um, so that was really cool to see those guys in the flesh. Hi, excuse me. Can we talk to you about your pajamas? Sure. Um, so this is my Totoro outfit. Oh, uh, from my name is Totoro. And yeah, so I, I, I wore this because I, I looked at my uh, wardrobe and thought, there's no way I can show off these terrible pajamas. And someone had bought me a, a, a Totoro suit. And I'm like, well, let's take it out and show it off to people. There was a, a presentation about um, using single cells um, for cancer, which was quite interesting, which I, I learned a couple of things I didn't know there. That was pretty cool. All the postdocs wore a red shirt and were actively on duty throughout the night. So people could approach them with scientific questions and talk science with real scientists. Um, this is basically leopard because, you know, the big cats are going to be here. And your feet, what are those? These are my monster feet. So it's kind of compulsory that when you walk around in them, you kind of have to go, ah, <laughs> it was actually getting touch a human brain <laughs> and yeah I mean the, the work the girls doing was fascinating to do with actually using light to kind of activate different parts of the brain but you know it was still the visceral thing of that is an actual brain in front of me I cut a real human brain in half which was so weird <laughs> but really interesting. I am not a neuroscientist, but it was fascinating for me because you sort of see this amorphous thing from the outside, but when you cut into it, you see these really distinct regions of the brain, which I had never seen, which was extraordinary. That was presented by Viola Caretti from Neurology, I think she is. I study this disease that is called diffuse intrinsic pontine glioma. It's a very long name. But basically the glioma is a cancer that occurs in a very particular area of the brain called the brainstem and in particular the pons. And uh, so that's why it's called pontine glioma. Uh, intrinsic because it's within the pons and diffuse because it spreads everywhere. It's like rain in a field. It just goes everywhere. Not just within the pons, but all through the brainstem. Especially because this particular brain area, it controls very important functions. So you know now that your name is Erika, and you know you're at the Academy of Sciences, and you know that thanks you know, to this area of the brain, that is the brainstem. And it controls also your blood flow, it controls also your respiration. So it's very, very delicate area of our brain. So I think the super amazing, interesting part of this, of this project is that we are starting to study 
the relationship between neurons and the tumor. So normally people study the tumor and they just look into the tumor, they never connect neurons and neuronal firing and the tumor in itself. Well, we figured it out. So this is a disease that affects just children. So if you get this disease when you're an adult, actually it's a benign tumor. It doesn't become so aggressive. It is just so aggressive only if you get it as a child between six and eight years old, around that age, and only if you get it in the particular area of the, of the brain, which is this area, the pons. So it is so specific anatomically and also temporally. And we did some analysis on MRI and we figured it out and that was not known that that age, when we are six or eight, all of us get this huge way of myelination. Basically, your neurons mature a lot, and particularly in that anatomical area. So we start thinking, and maybe I was thinking, well, is it possible that because our brain goes through such an important change with this whole neuron maturing, that in susceptible brain, you get the development of this terrible cancer. So to study that, we have here some examples. We use optogenetics. Basically, what happened is that you can genetically engineer, you can change cells, and you can put inside them a protein that gets activated by light. So you can shine just blue light, and neurons start firing. It's really impressive. So basically, what we do, we use mice as our model, and we use this instrument, it's a stereotactic frame, and we inject these cells, these cancer cells, in this area. And then, I don't know if you can see, this is the optic fiber that goes there. The basically can carry light. And I can show you that our experiment is very, it's very interesting. This is the video, this is the mouse. And now it has the fiber optic in, but there's no light. And then the lights turn on, and you see that it starts moving. So basically, with the light, you can condition the behavior of the mice and activate specific neurons. So I think it's extremely fascinating. So it's never been studying cancer and brain cancer, the relationship with neurons, even though neurons are, you know, like one of the major population of our brain. So this could be really extremely important if it comes out that the, you know, the firing, the normal firing of neurons influence cancer could be a huge impact in the way we consider cancer and even we treat it. What I enjoyed the most was seeing what the postdoctoral scientists actually came up with doing. I before had the idea that most scientists are dusty and locked up in a lab or in a basement doing stuff nobody understands. But actually, the 40 postdocs that managed to get into the program, and we had a selection procedure for that, they came up with all sorts of fascinating items that made science fun and exciting and touchable again. Many of the, the visitors actually proclaimed that it was like being in elementary school again and just the excitement of what is going on. I really enjoyed seeing that. Can you tell us what you're wearing? Uh, I, I have zombies eating my feet at the minute. Oh, those are excellent. Other than that, I'm just you know, casually relaxing in a smoking jacket. And what has been your favorite part of the night so far? The superconductors in the future of transportation um, and the early detection of earthquakes is really interesting. We also had uh, Stefano Bonetti from Slack who came with a small model levitating train. I'm uh, Stefano Bonetti. I'm a postdoc in the physics department and at the Stanford Institute for Material Energy Science. And uh, what I have here is... It's a very simplified model of a maglev, which is a magnetic levitating train. 
And the way this works is that I have a, a track which is made of magnets, these things that you can, you know, the same things that you can, you know, stick to your fridge if you want. Those are just made like bare magnets, and I put them in a certain configuration so that actually there is a magnetic field that goes around the track. And on top of it, I can put one of these materials, which is a superconductor, which is a very exotic material where electrons can move around, can move around frictionless. And another fascinating part of these materials is that the magnetic field cannot enter in those materials. So they basically uh, work as an anti-magnet. So if you put them on, on this type of magnetic wax, they get trapped or they cannot escape. So they, they, and, they, and they start to float. So I can show you here, this thing is actually floating in air. Yes, exactly. And when it warms up, so this is another important property of this material and a critical one. So they do behave in such a peculiar way only if they're very cold. So below a certain temperature, is called the, it's just called the critical temperature. And luckily there are materials which are, uh, their critical temperature is above the, the temperature of liquid nitrogen. So you can have a, a relatively simple liquid nitrogen setup and, and get this exotic material to behave in that way. And this is technology which is being used to make actual trains. They're called maglev trains, and they've been recorded at speeds of 580 kilometers per hour, which is extraordinary. Are you planning on doing this again or something similar? Yeah, certainly similar things. We have been invited back to the California Academy of Sciences, uh, which is great news, and maybe participating in one of their late-night programs, which is not an overnight thing, but they run them all the time. And we're also planning similar things in other museums in the area and what we really want to do is expand teaching opportunities for postdocs both at Stanford and other places as well. We we definitely want to grow this program because it seems like everybody involved enjoyed it and there's value to be had there. For postdocs it's an opportunity to explore a different career uh, or to hone their skills at outreach and teaching even if they want to stay in research and in science. Uh, for the audience, it's clear that they see what is actually happening and maybe even where their tax money goes into, that it is definitely doing some good. One thing to to add maybe is that it's really exciting that Stanford enables us to do this, to explore and reach out to the community in this way and uh, basically put up something that has not been done before and make it into something that benefits everybody. That's clearly the spirit of the Bay Area and that it exists at Stanford, and that is great to experience. Well, thank you guys so much for coming in and speaking with me today, and thank you all for listening. You can find full interviews with many of the postdocs as well as pictures of the event on our website at neuroblog.stanford.edu. That's neuroblog, N-E-U-R-O-B-L-O-G, dot stanford.edu. There are a lot of really great presentations. For example, the neurobiology underlying anxiety, treating epilepsy with ultrasound, cloning woolly mammoths, and much more. We'll also have links to the Stanford Postdoc Association webpage, information about the next Penguins in Pajamas at the California Academy of Science, and more information about all of the presentations. We'll return to our normal schedule next week, when our guest will be Gail Mandel, a senior scientist at the Volum Institute and a professor of biochemistry and molecular biology at the Oregon Health and Science University. Thanks for listening.